I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Today's episode discusses suicide. If you or anyone you know needs help, please call 13 11 14. I'm Mark Boris and this is Straight Talk. I can think back of being so full of rage that I could have killed him. This is just like really confronting to say, but having experienced so much trauma so early on in my life, the only way I felt less crazy was to know that there were other people that had traumas that they'd overcome, that people had survived horrific things. Because I was in pain every day. What, what does that pain feel like? It's a world of destruction. I remember the day I met him and there was something about this boy. I didn't know who he was. And there was something about him and I could tell so early on that this boy needed to be loved. We survive, we get through, we build things, we love things, we connect with each other. And then we just keep doing that every day until we die. And at the core of it, all we want to be is understood. So, Marshall, welcome to Straight Talk. Thank you for having me. You look terrific. Oh, do you know what? Coming from you, when talk of the town is like hot Mark Boris, <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you. Um, uh, but, and, uh, and, but by the way, um, I, I just you, you, what I mean by that is not only do you look terrific, but you give a vibe off, you're giving great energy. So that's really important to me. Um, and I think probably part of your success is the energy you give. And your energy is very open and honest. That's, I, that's what I'm getting straight up. I'm getting, um, you know, you're going to tell me the truth and you're going to be honest about things and no doubt this, the, the whole theme behind your podcast, the deep is like sort of the same deal. It's yeah. honest, truthful. It's uncomfortable. You yeah. okay to be uncomfortable yeah, with totally, me? Yeah, totally, totally. Okay, uh, cool. So like it's, it's amazing um, when we do some things in our life, it's to some extent you don't do it well unless it's therapeutic to yourself. And some people might say, well, that's selfish, but everything in life is selfish. Yeah. And, uh, and unloading what is a burden on your shoulders a lot of times is about being selfish. Mm. You can't be effective unless you're selfish. And it doesn't mean being self-centered and ignoring other people's needs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But mm-hmm. you must look after yourself. End of story. Agree. Is that part of your therapy, your game? Yeah, I think having experienced so much trauma so early on in my life, the only way I felt less crazy or 
uh, more connected to other was to know that there were other people that had traumas that they'd overcome, that people had survived horrific things. And so knowing that I wasn't alone, I think that is selfish. My work has come from a place of wanting to connect with others so I can see them and they can see me and we can both know that we're not, well, maybe we do know that we're really fucked up, you know, and that's also okay. Um, But I think that my work has been born from a place that has been, there's a need there to heal and to also be of service to people. You know, I, I need to know that what I am giving to the world is something outside of myself, but long way around it actually is very validating and very healing for me. It's funny, Danny Abdullah sat there one day and he told me that, and I don't know if you remember recall, Danny, Danny's the Danny's wife, um, three of the kids got killed in a, uh, by a guy who was drunk or drugged. And, uh, he was at the scene and his, and his niece was also killed and he was there at the scene and, um, on the day and, uh, he saw his kids die before him and he's got, you know, these are like obviously very close to his kids, little kids, just going for a walk to get an ice cream on a day. And I said to him, how, what stops you from, the dude was there that was behind the wheel. And I said, what stopped you from trying to kill the guy yourself? Like, you know, what stopped you from just tearing out and just hitting him on the chin or whatever? And he said, um, it's interesting, Mark, that you should say that because you, you would think standing back observing, that's what your initial reaction would be, anger. He said, but right at that point all I wanted to do was come for my kids. And he said after that he said I had to come up with this pro- prospect or this proposal of forgiveness, which is amazing because, and I thought it was amazing because how could you forgive somebody? Um, and he said, no, I did it for myself. Yes. Yeah. I had to forgive to stop myself being um, – treacherously tortured for the rest of my life with my own hatred of somebody or, or and blaming somebody. And that's quite therapeutic. I think all of us need to take a step back and look at the things that are bothering us and work out a benevolent way of dealing with it, whether it's telling the truth, being honest, being understanding forgiveness and promoting forgi- forgiveness, prosecuting forgiveness, mm-hmm. prosecuting honesty, which is what yeah. your show does. Um, pr- pr- prosecute, pr- prosecute, prosecute. That's also another way to heal. Yeah, totally. <laughs> or pro- but prosecute the, th- the thing in whatever way you can because that's the only way you heal yourself and therefore others. Others will find it healing as well. Yeah, coming through incredible discomfort or trauma and you then forgive or you overcome and you start to rebuild a life, right? Like we're going now fast forward 15, 20 years. You then still have that internal longing, right, or that need, like that insatiable desire to fulfill or to be filled with something. Like I can look around me now and I'm in a really safe loving relationship. I have healthy children. My, my basic needs are met. I'm safe. Um, but there is still this longing and there's this insatiable thing we have as human beings that we can never feel that thing, right? We look at it with success or doing or being busy or achieving or fucking or drinking or drugs or eating or shopping or 
I, and I, I'm still now looking at this place in life where I still do this work, but I'm also now really curious about what, this is going to sound very like existential, but like, what is the point? You know, I'm like, <laughs> it feels very big to discuss this now, but I'm really sitting with that idea of we survive, we get through, we build things, we love things, we connect with each other. And then we just keep doing that every day until we die. Seems like such a interesting concept, don't you think? Or boring. Or or a waste of time. Yeah, like what's the point? Like I actually had earlier this year an existential crisis because I didn't fucking understand. Like we just keep doing this. We just keep doing this. All my needs are met, very happy, thriving, successful person. This is it. Do you ever have those moments? Uh, Often. I (laughs) often wonder what's the point of things. But but, but I often think, but then I go back and I say, no, the point of things is just is to exist and to become the best version of yourself. Yes. Relative to those people you want to connect with. So you can't be the best version of yourself relative to anybody else. It's just to those you want to connect with, your family, friends, in your case, your audience is similar to me. Um, and what, how can I improve my community? What can yes. I do to improve things? Yes. And how can I advance things? Now, I might be a, let's say I'm a scientist. Yeah. One way I could do it is I have no friends, but I sit in a lab all day with a lab coat on trying to discover something that helps everyone's lives better. Yes. And we often sort of look at those people, put shit on and say, what the hell are you fucking doing? Like you lunatic sitting there, like what's your weirdo. But yeah. that's their thing. That's their gig. Um, and But it, our, our gig and my gig and your gig, I guess, is to some extent trying to help others by illuminating things. And yeah. my job is to illuminate how someone might feel by talking to Zoe Marshall today. Yes. And so I connect that. Well, she hit something important for me that I need to sort of get a handle on. And she's got a technique. Zoe's got a technique which will improve my life, that person's life. And then I hope that person then will say, and maybe I can pass it on to somebody else. Right. There's a ripple effect that does good. And that's, that's, you're right. It's a ripple effect and it just moves out. And then we start again, it moves, keeps moving. If it comes back in, it just moves out. Mm. I, I, can I ask you, let's kick it off. Let's, what is it? that traumatized you and what was it that you Oof. had to recover from? There's a lot, <laughs> a lot in a very short period of time. So um, grew up an only child, very enmeshed with my mom, had a relationship with my dad. He's an amazing man, but just me and my mom against the world. She was diagnosed with cancer. I think I was just 20 and I knew the day she told me she was going to die because I grew up my whole life clinging to her, knowing that she was going to go. It was so weird, very anxiously attached to her. So, What does that mean, anxiously anxiously attached? Yeah, what do you mean by that? So do you know much about attachment styles? No. I'm obsessed with them. So um, attachment styles are the way that we have been raised. So if you have an overbearing mother or you have a helicopter mom or someone that does everything for you and loves you and – you might go out into the world seeking relationships that were fostered like that at home. If you were neglected or abused as a child, you may be an avoidant. You might shut down when someone loves you. You might become internal. Avoidance and attach. This is extremes as a spectrum. Yeah, yeah. Um, we attract the opposite. So I'm anxiously attached. I attract avoidance. Benji's an avoidant. He attracts me. There are people in the middle that are securely attached. Um, They are 
rare, but they exist and we're all seeking to become more securely attached. Right. So, and, and when you say- um, I was anxiously attached yeah, What does to that her? mean, anxiously? So though? that means that when she wasn't with me, I would become more anxious. But as a kid? As a kid. Wow. So I could never have a sleepover. Um, I needed her to feel safe in the world. And how did your mom create that? I mean, or just, I'm not saying yeah, she did it on yeah, purpose, but I like, think, how did she do it? Um, I think because I didn't have two parents in her household- and I didn't have any siblings, there was a lot of uh, dependency on each other and maybe not enough boundaries, you know, not enough space to know that I was okay without her. Um, So that's really dangerous when your primary caregiver gets really sick and dies because everything that you know in the world to be stable and you're actually attached it is crumbled. So she dies quite quickly. I seek out uh, safety in all the wrong places, drinking, partying. I mean, I'm also early 20s. Um, Lots of things become tumultuous within my family unit. There's a um, court case Internally, my mom had no money, um, but there was a breakdown of lots of family dynamics. So it made me more and more isolated. Long story short, um, many years down the track, I'm still quite vulnerable and I attract a partner who is incredibly dangerous. So This is not Benji, is it? No. My God. He was like my fucking safe haven. But this person was so dangerous, so manipulative, um, uh, physically, sexually, emotionally abusive um, for a, a couple of years. And it was the perfect storm. You know, uh, these predators, manipulators seek out people that don't have a support network, that don't have a lot of self-esteem, and then they can shift and work on your mental health to become what they want you to become for them. So all of those circumstances of being isolated from friends, not being able to make money, um, being completely reliant on somebody. And then all of that kind of abuse created, um, you know, thoughts of suicide and ways to get out of this situation. So it was just a very awful time in my life, you know, that the first half of my twenties was just very damaging and very destructive. And it felt, the world felt unjust and unfair and lonely and awful and like a place I wouldn't be able to be in. So during this period in your Mm. twenties, when you're in this bad relationship, um, did you know this was a bad relationship Mm -hmm. or did you just Cling to it like because it's the only thing you could cling to because your mother now has passed away. Both. 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 It didn't start as bad as it became, of course, because you would just initially you would leave. It's, I mean, these people are so charming and somewhat kind and they fool everyone around you and gaslight you and it's it becomes a very quick place to all your trust and dependency in this person, um, that then you become optionless. You know, it's very odd because we're currently in a place where, like, I'm in very close proximity right now to where a lot of the abuse happened to me with this person. In so, a physical sense. Yeah. yeah. It feels um, 
when I talk about this, I go straight back to that place. Like this is my reality. And then when I fast forward and I'm in the room with you, I go, it is so beyond belief that that was my life. I cannot believe that. I can't even believe I got, how the fuck am I with you talking? How did I do that? Seems extraordinary to me because it was, you know, I would think of all the ways that I would kill myself and what would be I don't know if you've ever had those thoughts of what would be the quickest way, you know, what would be your way to do it. And then I think it just manifested itself in a way that was so destructive that I tried to leave this person and in the midst of trying, I almost um, was killed. And I think that was scary. It was like I became such a bad version of myself with this person that I could have seriously hurt him and he could have seriously hurt me, you know, physically, physically, like he could have killed me. There is parts I can think back of being so full of rage that I could have killed him. Like I could have, I I, I understand how a person that's scary. That's even like very confronting to say how a person could do that to someone when you are in that reptilian part of the brain, you know, where you, there is no concept of anything other than blind rage. Like I've been there and, and that is a horrific place to be, a very dangerous place to be. So I knew that if I didn't leave, yeah, it it, it could have been very dangerous. How how do you end something like that? It's such a question. Yeah. It's such a good question because a lot of, I mean, you know, the DV statistics in our country are horrendous and it is in the time that you're going to leave that you most often are killed. Um, I had to plan it. It took months of planning. It took months because I had no resources. Yeah, no money. No money. I didn't have a phone that he couldn't uh, trace all my, like he controlled everything. I wasn't ever allowed, like my Google search history, like everything was watched. I, I couldn't go to a gym without him being there watching me. So it was like every single thing was managed. So just journaling and reading books. So these are my two avenues that I could start to make sense. Am I being dramatic? Is this real? Pros and cons list like was my first thing. There was a tiny fire within me that he had never snuffed out, which was that part of there really is something wrong here. Like as much as you are trained to believe that this is acceptable, there is something wrong. And making that list, the cons were so severely disproportionate that I was like, okay, we need a plan. So I started collecting little bits and items and hoarding them at my dad's. How how do you mean like Like clothes, clothes, um, uh, um, documents if I needed to protect myself. Um, it just became planning and how to leave, like saving bits of money, you know, cash or coins or whatever it was. Like it was really Hard. Sounds like you're sort of escaping from a prison. It was. It was really tricky Borneo. because the other thing is you you've lost so many of your support networks through this time. You feel like who would believe me? How can I reach out to my friends from three years ago 
when I've had no, I haven't been a friend to them. I have no, like, I'm also still in my early twenties. I don't even understand that there are refuges or, or lifelines or, so it was very basic. And it took me eight months from the day that I left to the day that he stopped contacting me. So you, you physically left? I Where, physically you go? left. You I went to my dad's and I hadn't lived with him ever because my mum and him was, that was another <laughs> kettle of fish. Um, I also didn't tell him these things. You didn't tell your dad? No. So he heard on my podcast, my episode of my DV. Oh, this is just like really confronting to say, but um, he didn't know if it was tr- true, even when he heard it, me talk about it, because it was so not his lived experience at the time. He was like, did that really happen? But I was, I was a genius at covering this guy and surviving and looking like nothing was wrong. I didn't want you to think that I had been raped every day. Like you don't want your dad to know that stuff. So no one had an idea. You're starting a life with no skill set anymore. You haven't had a job for years. You haven't got access to people that cared for you and loved you. You've got like nothing. You're getting a phone number again. You have no money or resources. You don't have a car. No job. No job. I don't even have like a, a, like a resume anymore that like would make sense because people be like, what did you do for those years? Like what have you been doing? Um, did anyone ever say to you, you're mad? Did anyone sort of a, a, or, or <sighs> sort of think to you or did you ever feel as though or did he, did, 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 you, did he make you feel as yeah. though there's something wrong with you mentally? He, he's, he, so many things. I mean, he would say that um, you, like, really, you are nothing without me. You have nothing. And look at your life. Who calls you? Who do you go see? Who's in, like, I have evidence that you have nothing without me. You don't have a job and you shouldn't have a job because a woman's role is to stay home. You should be here with me. You should be supporting me. This is how it works. This is the roles. Um, it's not like it made sense. His evidence was right because he had created this situation for me to be so isolated. And then he would say I was weak or I was unstable because he would berate me and, um, you know, lecture me for like, I'm talking five hours of me sitting there being, and you just want to say, okay, you're right. I'm not going to fight anymore. You're right. I'm a slut. I'm a prostitute. I'm a whore. No one will ever want me. I'm an idiot. I'm, I'm not um, worthy of having any space in the world. You're right. I'm wrong. That just is like it. After you've been with someone for years, that is just, you're so used to, to it. You don't want to hear it anymore. You're just like, okay, I just accept. But there's a part of me that was like, this guy's fucking crazy. <laughs> he sounds like the one with the problem to me. You, he is crazy. How did you get here? But you're so here now. How are you going <laughs> to? Is that a maturity thing? Or is that? Is, did you sort of grow into that position? Like, because obviously in the early stages, you probably you probably were convinced there was something wrong with you. Yeah. Uh, is this a, a maturity thing? And would you say you were a slow mature and he took advantage of that fact? No, like, I think that I was so independent and so mature that what happened was it was so diminished from the abuse that what actually taught me was like these books. And it sounds really corny to read a self-help book, but I didn't have any other access to therapists or, 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 or lifelines that reading these and going, oh my God, like 
no, I, 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 I have value. I have worth. I, there, I'm, I'm, there is something in me. This can't be my life. Like accepting this is accepting death either quite literally or like internally, I just give up and this is my life. And I just thought this can't be it. So we get out, then we go back over. I go back over and over again. You went back to him? Yeah. Like, so you went to your dad's? Yeah. And you, but you found yourself back with the bloke? Yeah. And I'd leave and I'd go back and I'd leave and I'd go back. That's very normal. I think people say it takes seven times to leave before you finally leave. Wow. Um, because there's a lot of manipulation, there's a lot of um, coercion, there's a lot of lies, and then it just took the final one. He'd use our dog against us who had, I, I mean, I fucking, that dog was the only thing I had in those years. I loved that dog. Um, he sounds like a master psychiatrist or it's something. It's amazing. It's amazing that it happened. Where did he get all this sh- knowledge? Where does, I mean, what, what was his deal? Was he reading books how to manipulate I somebody? I mean, like, I, I don't. I don't think so. I think it was just innately in him. I yeah. think some people are just not well. Yeah, he's not well. So you, when you when you're, you said something interesting, I mean, I, I'm just trying to imagine what I'd be like as a, as a dad if I heard that about one of my kids. But when your dad heard that podcast of yours, and you and you, you, know, you talked about this, and he heard it for the first time, and he obviously you know, was probably shocked. Yeah. What was his reaction um, apart from shock? I mean, did he did he say, well, where's this dude hanging out? Like, I want to go and talk to him. Like, how did your dad deal with it? I think it's hard because he hung out with him. Oh, really? Before it got really bad. He knew him. Could he, your dad see it? No. No. But, you know, my dad, God bless, I love him, but, like, emotionally I don't know how aware he would have been that that was even a thing that people would do to each other. Yeah. He's not looking for yeah. signs. What yeah. he's being presented is what he's accepting. Everything's fine. Yeah. yeah, and you want to know, you want confidence in your child that mm. everything is fine. You want to believe that. You don't want to look and be like, something's a little fishy I'm going to explore. You kind of just want to know. Um, but I don't blame him. He, uh, he had no chance to know. He had no chance to know that. Have you told him that? Have that you I don't that blame him? You, yeah, have you t- yeah, have you had the um, discussion with your dad? You know, my relationship with him is super complicated. Um, I think, I think what, this is, I don't know if you're going to be able to relate to this, but a lot of what I didn't get from my dad even growing up, I now get to witness in my children and him and their relationship. Between your dad and them. And my children. He, like there's been a lot, I, I don't even know if he would know this, but there's been a lot of healing for me just by osmosis in those situations of watching that. Like I've never blamed him for what happened, but we've had a disconnect in our life and we've come back together and a lot of that healing has taken place because I've gotten him to see him as a nunno, you know, to to maybe I didn't feel as a child loved by him the way he loves my kids. But now I'm thinking maybe that was there all along and I just didn't know it or see it, so you, you know? So you managed to escape from this, as you said, after trying to leave many times, but you yeah. escaped this dude. Then, then what you do? Like, I mean, so you escape final time, mm-hmm. you cut things off. Yeah, he leaves me alone. Yeah. So, 
yeah, it's a fucking, it to- it's a world of destruction. It totally. I mean, so how are you feeling at this point? So you live in your dad's place. Yeah. Did you get a job and what happened? Yeah. I mean, what were yeah. the steps you had yeah. to take? Like the practical steps yeah, yeah, yeah. are like, I don't have a resume. What is something I can do today? So you thought to yourself, I've got to get a resume. Oh, no, I thought I need to just get a job. Yeah, yeah. Like I need to get money. So I didn't think about the resume. I just thought it's going to look too weird not having anything for the past few years. I'll become a nanny, you know? Yeah, cool. I'll babysit and from one family I'll, I'll earn their trust and then I'll get another family and another family and another family. And I'd always wanted to be in the entertainment industry and I'd studied to be an actor. And I never got a chance to explore that. So I got an agent and then I started doing TV commercials and then I got enough money saved up for a little bond to get a place by myself. And I remember it and it it was just like, I can't even tell you how incredible this tiny little shitbox of this place was a uh, it was a studio apartment in the lower North Shore. So I grew up with my mom in Neutral Bay and I just wanted to be near her, even that she wasn't around. And I got this tiny little apartment and, and the toilet was next to the kitchenette and my bed was in the corner. And like, I felt so safe and I felt so grateful and I felt so free. And I felt like it's the beginning of my life. Like I am making $500 a week, 300 bucks of that is on rent. Um, the unfortunate thing is when my mom left, I didn't have any adult skills because she had done everything for me for so long. I had to learn how to um, pay bills and budget. Like I remember being so <laughs> having no money that I'd buy a pack of 500 gram beef mints and I'd split it into five portions and I'd eat that every night for a week. And then my girlfriends would want to go out and I couldn't afford to go out. So I would sneak full bottles of wine into the club and pour, <laughs> pour your, pour your wine into the wine cup, into the glass and go out and I'd get caught many times doing that. Um, I became so incredibly savvy. Resourceful. So resourceful and so independent and so fiercely um, protective of myself because what happened was when I was in that safe place, all my trauma came up. Every part that hadn't, all the sexual stuff, all that emotional damage, all that physical abuse, even just my mum dying, the grief, all of that stuff that I'd never really got to deal with just because I was safe came to the surface and now I was like, oh, my God, I'm in so much pain. Is that because you couldn't suppress it? Well, because I wasn't be- surviving. Yeah. You know, like yeah, that yeah, whole time. Yeah, before you, when you're surviving, you're suppressing it. You're just like getting through. Now I was like I had time, hours of time to be alone and to be safe and to be, it was like, oh, wow, this is, wow, this is really confronting. We have to deal with this. Um, Having no money, not having access to a therapist and things like that. I became, I was on the hunt to become a seeker. Like I was. What's that mean? Seeker is like, I call it someone that wants to find out the reasons behind things, find out why I let that happen to myself, how I got into that situation. How can I uh, heal this pain? How can I not feel suffocated and and stagnated by all of this 
revolting stuff that happened to me. So then I just was like on this quest to get to, to, to purge this few years. I wanted to go into the middle of the pain and get rid of it. And I didn't know where to start with that. That's quite a big thing you'd want to do. And I didn't know that at the time that that's what I needed to do. I just needed to get rid of the pain because I was in pain every day. What, what does that pain feel like? Um, is it physical or is it? It feels like both mental and physical. It feels like um, nightmares and night terrors and Scary. dreams and uh, uh, limiting beliefs still that that voice in my head that I'm not enough, that I can't do it, that all the things I wanted to start to explore in my life would never be able to be achieved because I was nothing. Um, it would qu- feel quite physical in my body. It would feel um, restrictive in the chest. Like it would p- p- panic, panic. Yeah, yeah. and anxiety and overwhelm and stress, all of those things. But it was kind of like a um, humming you know, I was out, I was reconnecting with friends and dancing at a nightclub and I'd never done that and wearing a short skirt and having my hair down and my makeup on and feeling beautiful again, but then feeling unsafe. So I wanted to get to the point of how do I explore this? Um, and when you're a seeker, you find options and within that you find a lot of quacks and a lot of people that will also take advantage of you. So I was very mindful. I, I could smell a rat now that I'd been with one for so long. Yeah, yeah, you were an expert on this. Yeah, and I found a workshop, very, very weird, very weird things that we did there. <laughs> like a workshop being a, like a therapy it was, place. It was a therapy place. It yeah. was a week-long workshop yep. out, I think it was in the Hunter Valley, saved my ass off to be able to do this thing. Very, uh, I would say, unconventional. We like you sign a, a a contract that says that you won't discuss this, and it was exactly what I needed. Like it was, it was. How do I explain it to you without giving it too much away? But deep cathartic work in a big group setting. Like if someone looked through the window, you'd think there was like some Looney Tunes going on in there, like some weird shit going down. Um, I love to look through the window. Yeah, it was it was wild. Like I sat back one day and was just watching what was going around me. I was like, what the fuck? Um, and I needed this because I needed a safe place to be able to express the amount of rage that I had because rage is something that in our society we don't, especially from a woman, we don't allow to be uh, explored. I needed to rage. I needed to cry I needed to grieve scream uh, oh like and to have someone that it wasn't too much for be able to witness that and hold space for me like I could be the worst version of myself in that room recover go back to somewhere that was safe not talk to anybody, heal and have a whole nother day of something else, another theme, which might've been the grief day or might've been celebration or joy or, you know, and coming through that, having the most, uh, I guess it was like, um, a rebirth. I came through that understanding that, I was actually a victim of sexual abuse and and uh, financial abuse and all of the kind of things and um, 
I had a way forward that I believed now I had to undo this old mindset and start my life anew. So it didn't stop there. Obviously I, I was so obsessed with healing myself that I then wanted to become a therapist. I studied to become a therapist. I, um, was seeking different kinds of psychotherapy and I was doing sand play therapy. Like I think I've done almost every therapy that you could imagine because <laughs> I was so uh, dedicated to my healing and I knew that when I went into the barrel of that pain, it came. I came through it so much better. Like the power and the strength that I had when I came through these things was like, oh, my God, like I can thrive. So... Um, but where, where, where does Zoe get that um, know-how to sort of take herself through these processes? Because, like, you know, is that is that something your mum showed you? I mean, maybe yeah. your mum did it for you in, her, in your yeah. life, but maybe your mum was also a strong person, so oh she showed you a good example. So did you, do, do, you, do you attribute some of that strength oh to her? Oh, my God. It, it was like I came back to her in every lesson. She was a single mother two jobs, working her ass off, but was an independent woman, needed nobody. I grew up believing I need nobody, especially not a man. You know, men are accessories. Like they can add value if you choose them, but you don't need them to survive. Mm. But I think that's probably true too, by the way, across the board. Yes, for partnerships. It should be true. Yes. And so it, it, it all came back to me. It was like I got sucked into this weird vortex where that was all untrue. And then I was like, oh no, I remember. Like all of that came through and dropped into my lap. And so- So your mum was still there for you? She was. And she was, she- was spiritual while I was growing up and then introduced me to the secret when she got sick. That was that time. Do you remember the, that the, thing? The, 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 there was like a series called The Secret. Do you remember yeah, that? And yeah, it was yeah. when it was like on a DVD and yeah, no yeah. one knew what it was and you had to know someone to know someone to get yep. the DVD. Do you remember? It was the like best remember, yeah. marketing mm. ever. And I remember watching it with her on the couch and she was really sick and just going like, what the fuck is the secret? Just tell me. I couldn't get the concept of law of attraction or manifest. I couldn't get at any of it. And then when she got really sick and she was dying, she got really religious, which was such a fascinating thing to watch. Or, do, or did she just conjure up her own, her religion that had always been within her? Do you no, think, she, she went to went like there. Hillsong. We went wow. to like, like I went with her to these, it wasn't for me, it wasn't my jam, but I would definitely be moved in a place of worship. Just everyone worshiping something moves me. I didn't believe, that's not my thing. She was, I think, looking for meaning, knowing that she was going to go. When I was by her bedside, when she was dying in her last hours, she had me reread and reread this card. I think it was... Um, I don't know if it was Mary or I don't remember the saint, but it wasn't Hillsong. It, was, it kind of merged into just Christianity, which is so weird because my mum was not that person. And reading her this thing over and over again to give her comfort before she died, you know, it, it it's interesting. So, But, but I, in a funny way, though, like... I get it. She, she sort of equipped you, to be frank with you, it looks like, I'm, I'm, no, I'm no psychotherapist, but it looks like she sort of equipped you, though, to get through this on your own. Absolutely. Irrespective of the fact that you had this sort of um, relationship with her that probably caused you to get into the bad relationship in the first place, but she clearly equipped you with you without telling you anything, just you watching it. Yeah. I, she 
saved me for sure through that, that when I said that little fire burning, it was also her, like, I've always had and felt her around me a lot. And I have to, because I can't not have her around me. Like she was everything to me. Um, and now that I survived that, it is because of all of the skills and all of the things that she taught me. She might have not taught me how to pay a bill or how to drive, <laughs> but she well, taught Well, that's home economics. You know? But, 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 but that's home me, economics. She can she do that in school. She taught me true resourcefulness. Th- that's, that's the important thing. And survival. Yeah. You know? And still to this day, it, it's tricky. Like if we can't, I don't want to like jump forward too much, but if you look at how I live now and Benji and and- I am still this dedicated and fierce woman that needs to be independent because of her, you know, and I will raise my children to be like that as well, to rely on nobody but yourself. Um, That is a gift, you know. What lessons do you employ in raising your two children? That's Fox and Eva. Mm Mm-hmm. How and and how does that how do you, what are the lessons you've learned that you use to raise your two children and how does that dovetail into Benji's set of principles? Mm. Benji being Can your, I go backwards? your husband. Can now. I do Benji first and yeah, then we talk about yeah, that? Let's talk about Benji because I'm, I'm actually dying to know. I love Benji. I mean, he was one of, <laughs> you know like he's a hero footballer to me. One of the greatest you know most entertaining footballers ever to watch, as far as I'm concerned. Him with the ball was one of the most Pleasurable moments I've ever had in terms of watching um, fast twitch players who are clever on the field, who can outsmart everybody, and uh, and, and just had a sense mm. of where they their position on the field, where they were relative to everybody else, and where the opportunities were. I, I just love watching. But for him to marry you and have a, and he's now successful in his own right, but to have a successful relationship with you is a whole new. A chapter for me to look at in relation yeah. to Benji, and I know I'm interviewing you, but I'm equally interested in Benji. Yeah, so because I'm trying to know how that all that. works. Yeah, I really appreciate that because um, I I wasn't brought up with sports. I don't have interest in sports till this day. Um, I, I I'm not interested, and I remember the day I met him. Um, we were around here actually. We're at the nightclub in Kings Cross. And there was something about this boy. I didn't know who he was. He was playing then at the time. He was he was very famous. Yep. I found out later on our dates when everyone would stare at him. But I didn't know who he was. And there was something about him, and I could tell so early on that this boy needed to be loved. Like, and I felt that, right? Like I was like, I'm just gonna love this boy. I don't know. How, he needs, he needs to be loved. And we went through really interesting circumstances really on in our um, dating where his dad, his adoptive father, who was his father, um, died of pancreatic cancer in the first few months that we were together, which was very triggering for me, having my experience with my mom. I wanted to save him, this boy. We're still dating. We're loose, right? But God, I wanted to save him. And it was very weird because I was still living... um, you know, I'm still developing my life at this time. And he calls me and he says, my dad is dying and and, and I'm going home um, because it's pancreatic. It happens so quick. Home being in New Zealand. New Zealand. And he called me back and he said, can you come here? And I could hear the vulnerability and this boy had never been vulnerable with me before. And I was like, I will be there. 
I will do everything. To, I can't even afford to not miss a day of work, right? But I will be there. And I fly into this nest of grief, right? Him, his family, they've never met a girl ever. He's one of his, someone to Girlfriend, no. the girlfriend. Well, I don't think he's ever had a girlfriend. They've never met, but I'm coming to them in a moment where everyone is profoundly sad, but I also know how to be sad. I'm not scared of people being sad. I'm not scared of grief. I'll hold his mum, and I will be in that room and I will sit with him and all of these things happened. And then what happened was he ghosted me. This love was too much. And I told you at the beginning, he was an avoidant, right? He was like, holy shit, this girl is, is too, is, this is too confronting to feel this. And so he fucking ghosted me. He stopped calling. He didn't, uh, uh, when you arrived, uh, no, no, no. I arrived. We had the whole experience. I went home. He went, oh, went back, yeah. We all came back to Sydney. He's starting to do what he does. And he stops answering my texts and calls. He, he disappears. <laughs> I was just like, okay, I understand. Actually, I, there was something, it's weird when you have a knowing, like, I understand what he's going through. So you also, fuck you, I'm going to go do whatever I want now and we'll see. So he comes back, ghosts me a second time. This guy, this, this guy. And so now I'm in a lot of pain because I was just, I had an innate knowing that this was my, my man and I had to let him process and go through whatever he was going to go through. And so then I went into another lot of deep therapy because, you know, that's what I do. I want to seek and learn and thrive and grow and not need him. And when he comes back to me, we run into each other, the same place we met. He tells me, how he loves me. He's never said those words before. We're just off the dance floor, get mind you. He loves me. He needs to be with me. His family's so mad at him, blah, 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 for leaving me because I'm this incredible girl that was there in this time of need. And then we start our relationship. But I now have this requirement that if he wants to be with me, we need to do this in a healthy, productive way. So I make him see a therapist very early on in our relationship together, that we can learn how to communicate clearly and healthily, that perhaps there's some things that are coming up for him that may make him want to run away from me that he might not need to deal with. So I set this precedent with him that if we're going to do this, we're going to do this really well. And we had this turning point where if those things didn't happen, we wouldn't have the relationship we're still, we've just celebrated 10 years of marriage. Oh, well, congratulations. Yeah, that's huge in this especially, day and age. Especially today. Especially with a footballer and no disrespect. Yeah, no, but no, no, do you no, know, totally. like we have and he has been able to rise to the challenges I constantly present him. Like I don't and I will never accept complacency. Ever. In ever. relation to the relationship. No, never. And our children. Yeah. Never. So, uh, like, well, uh, well, tell me if you don't mind, if, yeah. if it's okay. Um, <laughs> like, what do you mean the challenges, for example, like uh, what's What do they look like? Yeah, what's an example of one? So I really struggled with, we struggled with how many children we were going to have. Right. I was okay with having no children. He wanted six. <laughs> Okay. So we had a turning point 
in our marriage where he was like, if you don't want this, you need to give me the respect to tell me because I want this. This is a non-negotiable. Six. No. Just children. Right. Fuck, we didn't even have one. I was like, look, I need to see something from you to prove to me that you are going to be able to be a father that I trust with my children. And he was like, well, when the child comes, I'll show you that. So we're in this cycle, right? I'll show you when we have the kid. I'm like, no, you show me before we. We're negotiating. And so we once again have a session on that. We work out what is holding me back from having a child, what is holding him back from turning up as a father before we actually are pregnant. And all this clarity comes out, right, that he still wanted to be loose and go with the boys and come home at four in the morning. And I was like, no, that's not going to be how the parent of my child comes home, right? So we're now having to negotiate internally what we're willing to do and what we're willing to sacrifice. I was so clear and he was so clear on what bringing a child into this world looked like. So for me, I knew that I didn't have my mum. I would need external support for my mental health. I'm not good if I don't sleep. Babies don't generally do that at the beginning, right? Generally, all the time. So he said, I will have, we don't sleep in the same room, I should tell you that too. Today? Every day. Every, every, okay. For the past makes 10 sense. years. That, that right. Sense. Well, having separate beds in different rooms allows you to do the things you need to get done. And it actually makes it a lot more intimate. So if you're laying with just oh, I'm into separate houses, by the way. But oh, my God, because you're rich. When we get there, we'll have separate houses. No, I'm serious. So no, I am too. That's a sensible thing. No, no, that, that if that is viable, of course. Yeah, yeah. Do you know how sexy that is? Yeah. Knock on each other. Oh, my God. So the whole thing. But I knew that you don't want small resentments. Like looking at your husband's skid marks that you need to clean up off the toilet before you go to the toilet is not a vibe for me. That's not sexy (laughs) for me. Totally, totally not. Right? Especially the way you put it, but yes. Right? If you're snoring and tossing and turning all night and keeping me up and I'm annoyed and pushing you and then you're annoyed and waking up, like that's not hot. If you're making the bed too fucking hot. You're right. All the things. It's not sexy. My room is for made for a goddess. It is so beautiful. I make my bed every day. I have velvets and fine linens and everything's put back in his place. He lives like he lived when he was 16. That is, I don't want to go in there. That is none of my, do you, mm. right? So we have not Except had- Except you have a third bedroom where you sort of- No, that's my room. That's your room. Okay. Because he can't mess it up, yeah, you know, okay. or, or if he does, I've given him p- permission. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so we have separate rooms when we- uh, bring a baby into the world. He says, I will sleep with the baby in my room. Yep. Right? I'll bring the baby to you to feed mm-hmm. and I will put the baby back to bed. So everyone is thinking this is unusual, a man waking up, taking the baby to the woman to feed, doing like holding equal responsibility. He knew I needed that to thrive. I also went back to work stupidly seven weeks postpartum to prove something to myself and the world that I am not like other mums. I'm not like other women. I can make money. I can, um, I can pump my boobs from one TV show, driving to the radio show, pumping and driving, like I, completely insane. That's a story for another day. But we had this thing growing up, uh, going into raising a family that he was as dedicated 
to this as I was. He was leading me a lot of the time. He is, he is so like balanced and uh, um, unemotional. So, you know, when the baby's- Workman-like. He does the he's job. He's just doing the job. Yeah, well, that's how he plays 42, by the way. If we're doing, thank you for telling me, I wouldn't know. No, that's how he um, does. But when the baby is crying because we started to sleep, people call it sleep train, I call it sleep support our child uh, at eight weeks, right? And you do the bit where they cry and you leave the room and you've got to go back in. He's like, get out of the way. I'm doing this. You sit down at the end of the house. I'm doing this. I'm going to go in and get the baby in two minutes two minutes and I'd put my headphones on and I'd be rocking and not listening to that baby cry, right? He has always to this day been, I feel, almost more uh, comfortable with the children than me. He doesn't care if they're both in the back of the car screaming. I can't drive with them like that. He can. He is just, we've always had very clear boundaries and very clear communication with how we want things to be done. That is why things are successful. Is that based on your strengths and your his strengths versus your weaknesses versus his weaknesses? Yeah. Did you actually sort of sit down and say, okay, you're fucking good at um, not being distressed by a baby's crying. <laughs> and by the way, a, a baby's crying distresses me too. Yeah. It's one of the few things in, in the whole world um, that can get to me. I mean, not much, not much gets to but me. But that's though. torture. But just the, a, a child crying distresses me quite a lot and uh, and therefore I'm no good at dealing with it um, yes. as a result of that. Yes. Um, because I, all I do is show the kid distress and then I, <laughs> and I can't because it's You're not of, calming them no, because no, 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 because I'm the one who's not calm all of a sudden and uh, and my whole ke- chemistry like changes and yes. the kid maybe can, uh, can feel that stuff. Yes, and that's why now we're raising a toddler and she – has me around her finger because, ever. ever because I am uncomfortable with her discomfort. This is something I need to work on another day, another therapy session. But Ben just like, leave her. She's fine. You say no. She doesn't like it. Bad luck. She learns. And I'm like, oh, you know, it's we just have this beautiful yin and yang. So I have a softness. He's learning too. He is so amazing, amazing the other day. He'd had a hard day. We had clashed and we do. And we do that in front of the kids. And it's really important to not hide that. We disagree. And mom has a voice and dad has a voice. And then we repair in front of them. That is so, so, so vital for us. I guess this takes you into how are we raising them? This is kind of mm. leaking in there. And he turns up the next day and says to me in front of Fox, I want to apologize to, um, mummy and fox because the way I was um, at dinner last night was not appropriate and I was in a mood and he goes, and I'm going to go talk to someone about that because I think that happened because of my mom or because I am like, do you know that's like an aphrodisiac for me? I am like. (gasps) Come in the bedroom. (laughs) Oh, my God. A man that is self-aware, that is vulnerable, but that is also taking steps to better themselves always. It gives me complete faith in us. Like we are, and I can't, I don't want to get too sexy here, but we have never been more connected in every sense of the word because we are so on the same page. You know, like it's just is like after 10 years, I can look at him and we, it's just a lot. Like we can't lie down next to each other and not yeah. do things. Does he, does, does Benji 
have the same expression or ability to express like you just did then, the same ability to express how he feels about the relationship as you do. Like, I mean, because that's not a side we ever see of your, no. your husband. Um, is that or, or like has he sort of got into that articulation world? I mean, you're very articulate. That's your business and yeah. that's what you do. Yeah. His business is slightly different. Yeah. Although in some respects he's about people and culture because he's trying to look very after much. players, trying, yeah. trying to manage above him, trying to manage the team trying to manage everything else. I'm um, not, and I'm not trying to take kudos, but he is, I think, more incredible now because of... Yeah, I was going to say, do you think that's bec- he's do. become that person now? I think his emotional intelligence and his understanding of people, he's always been very in tune, but I think the way that he's levelled up, like, is because of the internal work, is because of the constant work. You know, and I think he that he's doing on himself, of course. And he's not just necessarily doing that with a therapist or me. He's just curious at what makes him tick, and maybe because he knows there's a woman that's always going to mirror back, like what's actually going on. There's not a lot of let. Like I have never and will never just let things go under the rug ever. It's like in the Why moment. Not? Why not? Because that's where things fester. We see like through history that that has never been a good way for anyone to feel validated or heard. So when should you con- confront it? Straight away or? Um, it's or- up to, I I am anxiously attached so it's on the mo- in the moment. Bend is avoidance so he'll do a few days. It's up to every person how they want to deal with that. But I think I, I've learnt to respect that he needs space. I can't just push because I need a resolution now. Yeah, that's your personal. Yeah, it's like love languages. You've heard of that too, right? It's like I know what he needs, he knows what I need, but that took us another five years to figure out that he had a love language that meant nothing to me, vice versa. But that's his language and and your and your language like you don't want to be speaking greek to him and he's speaking <laughs> maori to you yeah, yeah, yeah. something like that yeah. you know what i mean like uh, it doesn't work but you have to but you have to respect the fact that's how he speaks and that's how you speak and that's about self awareness right at the very beginning mm-hmm. i i, I want to ask you i need to ask you about your show um tell me about your podcast that's yeah. that's, that's really got me intrigued oh my God. it's so how did that start it started because i was in mainstream media radio shows on kiss TV hosting TV shows on seven nine, wanting to bring in more unconventional topics, more taboo topics, more things that I thought were really important that needed a voice. And when you've got big networks, they don't want to touch those things mm. with a ten foot pole. They they are too much. No one's going to pay. No sponsors are going to pay to have that being said. And I just, my soul was tired and I was so unfulfilled and also fighting against being a wag, fighting against being an attractive media personality that had anything else to say. I was like, okay, this is really time. And I sat down with Benj and I said, I am going to do something. It may never work, but I want to put X amount of money into it and this amount of time. And I had a two-year-old child and I want to create something that is my, I believe, my life's purpose. And Benj being Benj is like, go, do it. I'm your biggest cheerleader, whatever you need. And it was, it had been, so I'm a huge Louis Theroux fan. And it Love had him. Like, like, I have, there's no words. That level of curiosity and being okay with being uncomfortable 
was the driving force. So I had watched everything he'd ever done. I'd been immersed in documentaries and this world for so long, it is just in me, that I had a million ideas of what I wanted to do for the first interviews, right? Like I wanted to talk to the guy that has sex with robots. I wanted to talk to um, uh, women that had, uh, you know, overcome horrific child sexual abuse. I wanted to talk to people that were uh, functioning heroin addicts and I wanted to know everything. Is this just curiosity? Yeah. Or, an, or, a, or is it more a need to know? It's a curiosity, but it's also a willingness to go places other people don't go like Louis does, to go and ask you something that you would never have been asked before because it might not have been polite or it might be overstepping and be okay with them also saying, no, that's inappropriate or fuck you or walk out on me or whatever came, you know, I was really okay with that. Um, A lot of what I'm dealing with in the deep is trauma-based, but a lot of it is misunderstood human beings. And at the core of it, all we want to be is understood. And I also believe that three, four, five different circumstances that happen to us today could make us a person experiencing homelessness, a sex worker, all of those things. You know, people are listening to you probably that are huge entrepreneurs or business people or curious people going, no, 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 I've got all my investment properties and I've got all of these things and it would never happen to me. But we know. But it does happen. All the time. Mm. And I think that we need to have a level of empathy and compassion and respect for everybody in the world. So it was born out of a need to create. And then weird people liked it. People wanted me to say the things that they've always thought and never had the courage to ask. People wanted to know the nitty gritty about being a sex worker and what happens if the penis is stinky and what, like all the, sorry. Yeah, no, no, but, but that makes sense. Do you know Because like, I never thought wanted, of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> people want, and I guess the way my mind works is I go into these nooks and crannies that you, I ask the questions you didn't even know you wanted to know. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. We just, you just raised a point that I've never thought about before. Apologies, now I'm, now, yeah. But I'm now sort of, I'm sort of semi-curious as to the answer to it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. but is this a, sort of a, um, for you, is mm. this, Something beyond curiosity, though, is it, is it more um, even beyond being cathartic? Is it you sort of uh, scratching that itch yeah. that you have in yourself as a result of all the shit you've gone through and now your life's pretty good? You've got two kids, yeah. you've got a wonderful husband, you think yourself, hang on, fuck me, let me give me something that's a little bit... Uh, it's going to sort of get me going a little bit here. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not suggesting your life is boring. But no. Your life is settled. Yes. I think it also comes from a place, and I think you'd know this because this is the work you're doing now after being a very successful businessman, is being of service outside of yourself is the most fulfilling thing. Mm. When someone comes to you and says, Mark, that thing that you said changed my life, literally, I've done something different because of the thing that you said. I will remember this and I hope I don't get emotional saying it, but I um, created The Deep and for a very long time was just funding it. There was no money. It's very hard to sponsor a, a podcast mm. that deals with these topics, but I did it out of love. And then I got to the point where 
I needed to make money. I needed to feel that value. And so I created a sponsorship called um, The Deeper. And I'm, it, it's juicier and more, more salacious and, and, and wilder and all of those things that people want, right? And then we have the most globally successful independent podcast subscription today. We are now a case study for Apple and uh, globally, and, and it's amazing and all of the things you'd ever wish for, right? And then we have this spike happen in interest rates and and no one can afford everything. And you know what goes first is entertainment, is subscription, is memberships, is beauty, is all of the things. And so we get this churn. And this woman reached out to me and she said, I live in rural Victoria and we can't afford much. And we were doing the budget the other day and we were cutting back on everything. And I said, it's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll get rid of the deeper subscription. It's four ninety nine a month. Right. And her husband turns around to her $4.99. So $1.25 a week, which I think is very good value. But when times are fucking tough. Yeah. You cut out all your discretionary spending. And her husband, and she says, you know, I'll, I'll give up the deeper membership. And he said to her, that has to, has to stay because the meaning it gives you, the conversations we have, the, the, the way it shifts the way you think, the, the way it lights you up, the way it entertains you, the way it does all of these things, I see the value in the four ninety nine. I see you need that. And she wrote that to me and said, my husband sees me having this thing as valuable. Oh my God, that was, and still to date, I think is the most validating thing I've ever had in my career. So validating, you mean validating why you're doing something or validation of yourself as a person? Oh my God, validating what I am giving to the world, that there is worth, especially when you're, because podcasts are free. We're in this shitty world Mm, mm. where everyone just expects this content to be free Mm. and you're dealing with a man that costs per hour for you Mm. (laughs) is wild and you're asking to give your content for free. So the model is warped, but then you put a price tag on it and you go, the people still come, the people value me. That's mind blowing. That's And that her husband sees who she is when she is receiving the content. Like... Yeah. Is that Zoe, is, but is that Zoe Marshall now <sighs> having absolute confirmation that she's worth something? In other words, going right back to when you're in your I 20s. I think so. But I also think, and, and I don't know what this is, but I think it's interesting because, like you said, I, my needs are met more so than ever. You know, I, I'm financially abundant myself. Really important to say that because of the life I came from, that Benji's success is his and I know that we contribute, but the monies I make are impressive monies now. Like uh, I could take it or leave it because what I've learned is it doesn't, that doesn't feel like anything to me. No matter how much money I make, it doesn't change the way I feel. Yeah, that 499 is not going to change your life. No. But the letter does. The letter does. But even all of the other monies I make in my other industries, uh, like, I thought that when I reached that goal, I would feel that, ah, oh, I made it. And you know, that's just like, it's a riddle. It's just bullshit. It's bull. You never feel that. But when you go every week, someone in my DMs, every week, someone's feedback is like, 
oh my God, my husband is also a meth addict. I have lost everything. And that was my story. That was my story. And 20 other women say that same thing. There are all these women that are experiencing this epidemic with meth in a family unit. And you're like, I didn't even know this was a thing, but all these women are feeling validated and seen and not alone. Like it's just, we now have built a community, a community that it doesn't matter if you resonate with that story, if that's your story or not. But the next one might be, incredible amounts of grief and you felt like that or you have felt a a sense of longing or suicide or whatever it is, you are somewhat being seen and validated. And that in turn makes me feel validated because it makes my work feel, you know, it's worth something. It's it's sort of quite, sort of quite amazing. Like to me, it's like a full circumference in that you've gone from the 20 year old who had, who had to work out the, the answers now you have the answers and you're now providing to those people who, people who don't have the answers and they're giving you feedback, to t- which gives you self-worth in itself. You know, like it's sort of quite an interesting sort of loop that you've created yourself on your own. Like nobody helped it really. I mean, you had to do, build a strategy around all this. And and I think one of the things I was oh, – I did want to say it earlier on, but you were in, in such a great flow. I didn't want to sort of interrupt. But st- strategy – is incredibly important when you get you find yourselves in the situation you found yourself in. You probably didn't know it was a strategy, but you built a strategy. And I think the human brain is incredibly resilient at building strategies if we just give it a chance, instead of sort of sort of uh, you know wallowing in the the shit. I mean, mm. you can do that for a bit. That's okay to say, look, I'm in the shit. No, I'll just cop it, sweet. I'll feel it. But you've got to build a strategy to get out of the shit. Otherwise, you won't get out of the shit. Absolutely. And and like I could have, this takes us full circle to what we're just saying, could have been a drug addict out of that situation to have numbed the pain. Like that wallow was wallowing the shit. That's how you wallow in the shit. You the drinks, turn to something. The boys, the this, yeah, the that, yeah. the food, the clothes, whatever it is. Or crime right? even. All of it. Yeah. Like they're all options. Yeah. You know they're options yeah, yeah. when you're in the shit. And then I thought, I really I know, I know there is more. And I cannot tell you how, and it feels very strange saying this, but I, my life, I can't believe it's mine. I can't believe, like I walk through this beautiful house we've just bought and renovated, should never have been ours, way over budget. Anyway, timing is an amazing thing, but I walk through and I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I, and I see but this. But like the little house you had before you came to Oh, my God, it's the same feeling. It's the same deal. It's the same feeling. And I look at this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful man that loves me and I can't believe it. For who you are. Yeah. Not for who he wants, but no, who you are. No, he, and, he, and, and I'm enough. I'm enough. And I see these little children and then I see my work and I just like – I just can't even, but, and then when we go back to what is the fucking point of everything, I guess this is it. That is the point. The feeling that you get ever so like fleeting in moments of life of like, this is it. Do you know what Zoe, it's, um, I've been thinking about it the whole time. Um, and I said it right at the very beginning, I got a good vibe from you, a certain energy from you, a certain lifeness from you, like a vitality that comes from you. Um, irrespective of the things that have happened to you, which is probably I want to go back to your mum and maybe your dad too, but, I, you know, I did, we didn't hear too much about your dad, but your mum. If I think about even your name, Zoe, 
in Greek means life. Um, it means a few other things, but it, it can mean animal life, but it means life, life itself. And uh, you live your name. You are that person. And that goes right back to the person who gave you the name. That's your mum. And she, that little flame you kept talking about, my gut, my just my feeling. I I don't know your mum, but I feel as though she, she stayed in you the whole time. She was your life, not just yeah. your name by name, but she was your life the whole time. She's still there, just that the flames like you now control the volume on it. Yeah. You, you turn up or down when you feel like it. You you now understand how to manipulate it. It's mm-hmm. pretty incredible, and you've actually, you know, you're paying forward, which is sort of what I try to do in my shows. But you're paying forward your life experiences and helping others right down to your husband, your kids, everybody else, you must feel pretty fucking awesome. (laughs) And that's what it's all about. I feel really humbled, like that someone like you can say something like that about me. I feel very humbled. Um, I also feel very privileged. I feel so privileged that I was one of the lucky ones to survive. So who do you think? Who do you show gratitude to? To How does that work? I mean, because gratitude is an important thing. So I mean, really, I show it to you right now. I show it to the important people in my life. I show it to the people in my community, in my work. I, I, I genuinely feel so much gratitude to myself like, and also I don't know if we have a higher power or if there is some energy or whatever you want to call it, mother nature, God, whatever. I, I do feel grateful for that because I have to believe that there was something outside of myself that kept, kept me alive. You know, like I, I'm deeply, I'm deeply grateful that I, I, I made it. Even if it was just the thought. Yeah. That's it. That, that made you survive. I mean, I, I'm, I'm actually quite, you said you felt privileged, but I actually feel quite privileged to be able to sense an energy of a person when they first sat down and then to be able to, this is what, why I love doing the show, to be able to unravel it and try and intellectually work it out why I felt that energy. And uh, that's been really cool. Really, I've enjoyed this immensely. So I'll let Benji for me. <laughs> Thanks very much for hanging in with me at Straight Talk. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Talk with Mark Boris. Audio production by Jessica Smalley. Production assistants, Jonathan Leondis and Dimitri Gremos. Hold up. 